On this episode of The Nosebleeds, we'll be talking about the latest and greatest news from the NBA Finals and MLB rookie class. Is this one of the best rookie classes in recent MLB history? And your girl B is back. That's right. No more vacations, no more nothing. Strictly work and this podcast. And I'm so excited and I know you guys missed my voice. So we're also going to talk about Andy Ruiz, who made history find out what exactly he did. And also the Women's College World Series on this episode of The Nosebleeds. Life on the edge, I'm dangling my feet. I tried to pay attention, but attention paid me. Haters can't see me. Nosebleeds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nosebleeds podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds, because we know what we're talking about, but we sit up in the nosebleeds because, well, we're just broke, okay? We just graduated college. Somebody hire us. All right, and you know, it's me, your girl, B, and I have, as always... It's your boy. Yo, what up, y'all? It's Kush. Welcome back, Brandy, once again. <laughs> yeah. I just got back from vacation. I am now super tan, super bronze. It's great. Um... But, yeah, I'm really excited to be back. Honestly, I went to Hawaii for a week, and I forgot. I was so unplugged that I forgot the finals were going on, which is unacceptable for my career choice. Highly unacceptable. Yeah. I remember I, we got back to the hotel that night, and I was like, oh, shit. Like, I'm missing the game right now. It's so, also a three-hour difference, too, so yeah, it's kind of hard. Yeah, so, you know, don't blame me. But it's good to be back. I'm so excited. Uh, we have a lot of new ideas, a lot of stuff we're going to do this summer now that we have time on our hands. Okay, so let's just get started with the NBA Finals. So now, Kush, I'm going to need your little help on this because because of the three-hour time difference, I missed the first two games when I was gone in Hawaii. So, but I did see the highlights, but, you know, just getting the highlights, you can only get the best. I want to know about the worst. So... Let's talk about game one. So let's talk about game one. Uh, Toronto, I was shocked, by the way. Toronto pulled it off, uh, beating the Warriors 118-109. to 109. Pascal Siakam balled out. I'm not going to lie, the last podcast I did have doubt with the role players on the Raptors. But Siakam proved me wrong. He had 32 points. shooting. He only missed three shots shooting 14 for 17, and then you had Kawhi Leonard doing Kawhi things, 23 points, and then Gasol. So the thing with the Warriors, they were getting beat a lot behind the arc. They were playing very lackadaisical defense, and they have this entire series, and they weren't really guarding the three-point line. They were kind of like, Siakam and Gasol, we want you guys to beat us from behind the arc because we're going to protect the paint, and that's exactly what they did, and the Warriors just looked bad. Obviously, no Durant. And then uh, Curry had 34, and the bench had 36 points. So, like, the numbers were there, but giving Kawhi 23, Siakam 32, Gasol 20, Fred Van Bleet 15 points, like, that's just way too many points to be given up as defense. It's not going to get it done. I mean, from watching the highlights, I think, first of all, Kawhi is a beast. And also, I think that the Warriors kind of underestimated the Raptors. And that's why they've been playing lackadaisical defense this whole time. I think as of right now, since I mean, we, everybody knows what happened at this point, um, I've, after game three, they need to step it up. Like, they're not playing like they're in the finals, in my opinion. Yes, they've got their injuries and everything, but we'll get to that. But from game one, from what I noticed, yeah, like the Raptors just took advantage of a bad situation for the Warriors. Yeah, and game two was a completely different story, and I think the Raptors may have been riding high off that game one wing. You know, they're probably on Sports Center watching the highlights numerous amount of times saying, we beat the back-to-back defending champions, and I think it got to their head, which it definitely did because 
the role players did not show up for the Raptors this game. Siakam had 12 points, shooting 5 for 18. Gasol had 6 points. The only real person that did anything was Kawhi Leonard, who had 34 points. But against this stacked Warriors team, that's not going to get it done. Um, and honestly, this entire series, the Raptors have been winning every single quarter except the third quarter of Game 2, and that's when Toronto... Or, Golden State went on a 20-0 run. Mm -hmm. The Raptors didn't score a single point until, I think, six minutes into the third quarter, which allowed Golden State to get that huge lead. And Draymond Green had a a near triple-double. Cousins had a great game. Curry had uh, 23 points. Klay Thompson had 25 points. But Klay Thompson did end up going down with injury, hamstring injury. I think he was. I think he was trying to be a little bit James Harden esque, like trying to draw the foul from the three point shot, like with his landing spot, and ended up yeah. backfiring, and he kind of almost landed in in the splits and yeah. his hamstring. He, and he cannot do the splits apparently. Yeah. So that Warriors twenty zero run really gave them a big lead, but then the Raptors came back in the fourth quarter and like towards like the last two minutes, they went on a ten zero run to make it a two point game. It was one zero six one zero four. And then out of all people, Andre Iguodala, finals MVP, Andre Iguodala came out of nowhere and hit the most clutchest of threes in his career. And if I'm the Raptors, that's who I want taking that three-pointer in that situation. Like, so, I mean, I can't be mad, but Iguodala just made him pay for that. So that was all she wrote, and it was 109-104 Golden State winning game two. Talking about that 20-point run that Golden State had, that's the kind of team they are. When they're, like, you know, mainly healthy minus Durant, they can do things like that. Like, you can't be safe going into the fourth quarter at Golden State, like, 20 points or even 15 points. Like, you have to play out the whole time, and I think that's what happened to the Raptors. They just kind of like, oh, we got, you know, we're decent enough, and you can't do that. And the war- the Warriors are also known for their third quarter runs. Oh, yeah. Like, throughout this entire playoff run, they've just been, even against Portland, against Houston that third quarter has always been their quarter and it just showed another game that it was their quarter going on that 20 like it's not even the crazy part that it kind of seemed like yes they were playing amazing defense don't get me wrong but it felt like there was a lid on that rim for the Raptors like every shot was going in and out like nothing was going down it was frustrating they were definitely frustrated so but that Clay Thompson injury would he left in the third quarter or fourth quarter it was and he didn't return but the Warriors ended up pulling it off. But game three, he was unavailable. Same with KD again. Oof. That uh, was. Yeah, so Toronto Raptors took full advantage of Curry being their only star player offensive threat, and they won 123-109. to It was pretty much Steph Curry versus the Raptors. It, that's that's really what it was. That's Curry, a great <laughs> Curry had 47 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. And they lost. And they lost. They lost. You That's know, so frustrating. It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It sounds yeah. very uh, LeBron-esque. Oh, yeah. Game one of the 2018 finals. Yeah, and people are already comparing Steph Curry to LeBron. Like, oh, like, and there's so many memes about but it. But the, the thing is, is everyone's, like, showing Steph Curry so much sympathy. Like, oh, he didn't have KD. Oh, he didn't have Clay Thompson. Like, where was that shit last year when LeBron dropped 51 points? Should have won the game yeah. if J.R. Smith knew what the score was, but ended up losing that game in overtime. So, I mean, but that goes back to the narrative that people just don't like LeBron James and everybody loves Steph Curry. Yeah. So that's, I think that's the reason for that. But no, it was honestly, it was terrible watching it. I watched it with a Golden State fan yesterday. So we'll be recording this on Thursday. We also watched it yesterday with the Golden State fan and oh, it was like frustrating. She's, yeah, she stopped watching half like towards the end because it was just bad. And 
Golden State's defense was absolutely awful. Atrocious. Like, I... To a point where you're just like, how did this team make it to the NBA Finals kind of defense? But, like, they were giving so many interior points. They were giving up three-pointers, second-chance points. DeMarcus Cousins didn't show up whatsoever. Draymond Green was the second-highest scorer with 17 points. So, I mean... And then Cousin, he, Cousins went four points, one for seven, and three rebounds, and that that's supposed to be one of the best centers in the in the game. Yeah, he he's not looking like himself. And kind of my next question is like, should he even start next game, or should they have Andrew Bogut? Because Mark Gasol was bullying the hell out of uh, Demarcus Cousins, whereas when he tried to do it on Andrew Bogut, Andrew Bogut kind of stood his ground a little better, yeah. and he has a little more of that interior defense which the Warriors needed. No, I think they should definitely start him over, especially last night's performance. Marcus Cousins, he couldn't even do anything. Yeah, and then Kawhi had the quietest 30 points I've ever watched. Oh, yeah. Like, that man is so focused. He's like a machine. Like, he has he's eliminated all outside noises, and he's just focused on balling out. Siakam had another great game. Gasol had a great game. Lowry had a great game. 23 points, 9 assists. And then Danny Green had 18 points, all coming from three-pointers. He had six three-pointers. And then, so the Danny Green, Lowry, Gasol, Siakam, and Kawhi accounted for 106 out of the 123 points for the Raptors. Damn. Which I think was a Raptors record. And then uh, Van Vliet obviously did his thing. After after he had his son, Van Vliet's just been going off. He's flipped the switch, and he's been... Looking like last year's six-man finalist, Fred VanVleet. And then Ibaka had six blocks. I think that's the most underrated stat of the game, is that Ibaka had six blocks. Looking like Serge Ibaka. Literally. And then the refs. Oh, my God. Don't even start me with the refs. I feel night. like, okay, so everybody always said, I think throughout the season, everybody's always like, oh, well, no, they no, Golden State never gets called on. Like they, or like, they never get calls against them. Because they're Golden State or whatever, but I mean the rest last night that was terrible. That was like one of the te- that was, for the fine for a final game, like come on, missing calls, calling um, fouls that were not necessarily. I feel fouls. like I feel like the refs just kept digging themselves in bigger and bigger holes. Like they they're trying they to like realized, make up for it. Exactly, they and, realized they missed a call before, so oh let me make it up. But like the but, makeup call looks so stupid that it's just like what are you calling? It's like and for what? Like okay, like a. Pe- why do a makeup call when it's like, okay, you know, you fucked up. Like, okay, fine. Or you messed up. Like, that's... Everybody makes mistakes. Like, we get it. Like, you're only human. Un- understandable. But don't try to go back and forth because then it's just like, what the hell is going on? I think it has to do with the Oracle effect because the thing is, when you call a foul against the home team and they show the replay on the board, obviously, and you see the fans interact. And the fans are going to be like, oh, refs, you suck. Refs, you suck. Like, all that type of stuff. And I think it gets into a referee's head. Yes. I mean, I'm sorry. Yes, but they're professional referees refereeing for the NBA Finals. They should be able to block that out. I understand. I mean, playing in the Oracle is hard because, I mean, of all the, the – because Golden State fans are usually on their feet. Last night, not so much. Definitely not. But they are. It's a hard stadium to play in if you're the imposing team. But, I mean, refs, come on. Like, I don't think that's a good excuse. And – Stop making up for stuff. There was there was two. Don't ma- be sorry. Be careful. There was two makeup calls which drove me insane. One of them was, uh, I think Quinn Cook or no Kyle Lowry like pushed Quinn Cook to the ground or whatever like that, <laughs> and they called a foul on Quinn Cook and not even on Kyle Lowry. Oh my god, yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> and then the ensuing possession, Kawhi Leonard was going to the basket and he passed it off and 
one of the Golden State players flopped really bad and they called a charging foul. So it's just like you could tell that they were makeup calls. And then there was one play, that one on Kyle Lowry was ridiculous. I was there was there like, one foul which Steph Curry literally got wrapped up. Like the Raptors were hugging him, going up for a lip, and no foul was called. And I'm just like, yo, how are you guys not seeing that? And then there was like three goaltending calls that weren't called either. So the refs were all over the place. And the worst part about all of this is, yes, the NBA refs have a Twitter account, right? And <laughs> they're not even idea. they're not even talking about the game. They're talking about. <laughs> Oh, what constitutes a shooting foul? Oh, did, was he in a shooting space and showing highlights from like the Trailblazers Warriors game? And it's like, bro, you got the NBA Finals going on right now. Fans don't want to hear this. They want to hear about the game that's going on right now, not freaking last year's and what constitutes a foul. Like, honestly, I think the word, yeah, it's it was probably a quote unquote good idea to you know get the fans involved with the rest. But I think for the rest, it's sake, backfiring. It's, it's such a bad idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they didn't do such a bad job, right. Actually, I, back to back to the Bradley Beal fumbling the ball when he took like oh, 17 my steps. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> that was bad. That was pretty funny. And then, so the Warriors are now down 2-1 in Oakland still for game four, which is going to be Friday. And it just came out that KD is not playing game four. But Clay will be. He expects, I mean, after, I being Steve Kerr, I can imagine after, yesterday's performance oh yeah clay thompson's gonna play yeah they're they're gonna ice him they're gonna inject him with something but he's playing clay thompson was suited up but he didn't play at all last game but game four he will be playing but durant is still not even participated in scrimmages yeah that's that's the crazy part like he's been out for nearly a month now i think that if anything he'll be back for if maybe game six for sure game seven i think I think they'll just throw him in their game seven. I think game five because he's gonna have that little little bit more of rest from game four to game five. That's true. Because it's so this one it's like they only get one day rest, but from game four to game five, they obviously they're going days. back to Toronto, so they're gonna be uh, gonna have those two days. Yeah. And Clay Thompson needs to be there. Like the obviously. shooting, the shooting for Golden State last night was just bad. Like you had teams double, triple teaming Curry. Yeah. Because they don't, they know they don't have. Anybody Shooters, else? Because nobody else that was stepping up. a threat, yeah. And the numbers said so. The Warriors were one for eleven in the first half from behind the arc. If your name wasn't Steph Curry, yeah. And for the whole game, Steph was six for fourteen behind the arc, and the rest of the team was six for twenty-two. So it was just all bad. And I think Clay Thompson coming back is definitely going to help them. You know, because this is a must-win game. They just no way they can go down three-one. Yeah. Especially, and then going back to Toronto for game five. Yeah. There's no way. I think, yeah, I think that with Clay Thompson back, I think my prediction now is going to be Raptors in six. Because I think that with the way Golden State is right now, I mean, they're pretty beat up. So with the injuries and everything, and no Kevin Durant. So I think if any team is going to be able to beat the Golden State Warriors with like Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and like all these players, it's going to be this Raptors team. But it's probably going to be in game six. Right. But with that being said, if the Warriors do win, I mean, it was expected, but it's it'd be highly respectable for them to still be champions after, like, you know, all the injuries and everything they've been through this season. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see it. Um, they they need Durant back really freaking bad. Oh, if they had Kevin Durant, it'd be easy. Like, maybe yeah. five games. I wouldn't say easy the way the freaking I mean, Raptors yeah. have been. Well, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I doubted the Raptors. I doubted all their role players. I knew Kawhi was going to be there game in and game out. But 
I didn't know if Lowry was going to show up as much. I didn't think Siakam was going to show up because I thought that Siakam-Draymond Green matchup was going to go towards Draymond Green. But mm. Siakam's looking literally like a younger version of Draymond Green with a better shot and a little bit better handles. And he's lengthier too. So, you know, in a couple years, we could see Pascal Siakam on an all-defense team, maybe even defense player of the year, you know, all-star. Uh, Spicy P has been making a name for himself this NBA Finals. Now, I mean, I'm not discounting the Raptors. I'm not saying it would have been, you know, oh, it's like a cakewalk. But it would have been easy. Like, I think, I mean, the games would have been obviously difficult. But I still think Golden State was going to come out on top no matter what. Right. Because a full healthy team. Which still could happen. I mean, they won game two as well in Toronto without KD. Clay was there. Steph was there. But I think their role players now need to step up like DeMarcus Cousins. And Quinn Cook, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, those guys. Need to Iguodala step up. Is only his score, has not scored more than 11 points this entire se- like each game throughout the series. Yeah, I mean, he's not really known for his offensive scoring, but when you have guys like Klay Thompson and uh, Kevin Durant out, you need to step Take up. Take advantage, yeah. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, that's my whole thing. It's like, you know, you go to the situation you're in, you got to, you know, okay, that might not be your thing, or like you usually rely on Clay or Durant, but like you've got to step it up here, man. Okay, so last few things about the NBA Finals. That's not exactly focused on the game. Kyle Lowry, last night, if you were watching, he got hit by um, a Golden State, what appeared to be a Golden State fan on the court. Kyle Lowry was going for a ball, trying to save it out. That was going out of bounds, and he, you know, ran into people. But, you know, if you, if you sit courtside, that's most likely – it's a very likely thing that will happen to you. And so this guy got hit, and then so this guy pushes or, like, kind of hits, tries to hit Kyle Lowry or, like, yeah, kind of shoves him. him. He shoved him. Yeah. And then Kyle Lowry looked at him like, what? Like, you know, like, what's your problem? Turns out that guy was a part owner or an investor of the Golden State Warriors who pushed him. Yeah, his name That's is... That's a no-no. His name is Mark Stevens, and he ended up getting immediately ejected from the game, and a lot of stuff has unraveled with what the Warriors and the NBA are going to do, so... But... Yeah, the fact that he just pushed Lowry is unacceptable. Like, you're going to sit courtside. You know that's going to happen. Honestly, if, if a if a basketball player fell on me, minus Shaq, because Shaq will probably break me. It's <laughs> <But laughs> like, a good thing he's not playing anymore. <laughs> yeah, and if, like, if a player were to fall on me, I'm like, bro, that was the dopest thing ever. Like, Would you, like, hold on, give a hug? <laughs> I don't know about all that, but, like, I'd just be like, yo, that was crazy. Like, a, and obviously be on TV and mm-hmm. shit. Probably the Warriors or someone will hook it up. Be like, "Ayo, like we're really sorry." If I'll probably fake injury. Be like, "Hey, I need free tickets for the next game." Courtside scammers. <laughs> I would mooch the hell out of it. <laughs> but yeah, so pushing him is like completely disrespectful, and that's not okay. Definitely not. I think it's uh, show. I think it's really good that the war. I think the Warriors organization. They're overall really good when it comes to this type of stuff. When their organization is involved in a negative way, they always usually do the right thing, which is why I highly respect their franchise. But I think that the Warriors, um, the fact that they you know kicked him out. And I think he's suspended for the next year. Yeah. Right? So initially it was ejection, and then they were gonna suspend him for the NBA Finals, which is only one or two games. When left. that was like their immediate response. So right. that was, I think, really cool of them because you can't be doing that. And that also looks so bad if he's quote-unquote a part owner. Right. And then they came out and now said that he's going to be banned for a year from NBA games and he was fined $500,000. Yeah. 
there go your season ticket. <laughs> and <I laughs> There's think, your investment. I think a huge part of it had to do with the NBA players coming out on social media and talking mm-hmm. about how this is not cool. Mm-hmm. And one of those guys was LeBron James. Oh, yeah. LeBron came out on social media on both Twitter and Instagram saying how wrong he felt it was. And so here we go. I'm going to read you what he said. Quote, there's absolutely no place in our beautiful game for that at all. There's so many issues here. When you sit courtside, you absolutely know what comes with being on the floor. And if you don't know, it's on the back of the ticket itself that states the guidelines. But he himself being a fan, but more importantly, part owner, that was all caps, of the Warriors knew exactly what he was doing when he, which was so uncalled for. He knew the rules more than just the average person sitting watching the game courtside so far that something needs to be done ASAP. A swift action for his actions. That was a good line in the barn. Just to think to yourself, what if at Kyle Lowry would have reacted and put his hands back on him? You guys would have been going crazy, calling for him to damn near be put in jail, let alone be suspended for the rest of the finals, all because he was protecting himself. I've been quite quiet throughout the whole NBA playoffs, watching every game, in parentheses, haven't missed one. But after I saw what I saw last night, took time to let into manifest into myself thinking, I couldn't and wouldn't be quiet on this. Hashtag protect the players. Hashtag privilege ain't welcome here. End quote. Well said, LeBron. Yeah. 10 out of 10. I 100% agree because that part owner was a Caucasian male. So I think that also speaks volumes to what has happened to him. And I think the uh, the Golden State and hopefully the M- and the NBA, they've taken really good steps towards this. But Yeah, because honestly, if this would have been completely opposite like let's say that part owner was african-american and the player was white i think it would have been handled differently oh yeah or definitely. even like let's just say kyle well, lowry retaliated if kyle lowry retaliated like kyle lowry would have been in deep shit oh yeah i think that i don't quite agree with the first one but i do agree that if kyle lowry would have retaliated which he very well could have like i mean the guy pushed him what i can't push him back which i mean yeah the, yeah like you have to be whole, a professional exactly but that guy has we, professional too, right? Seen this, we've, th- we've seen this way too many times in the NBA with racial slurs being said to Westbrook, like Westbrook getting flipped off. Like just too many times is, uh, these incidences have happened in the NBA. And it's like if you... And in the NFL too. Like, I mean, more... I forget what's his, I forget his name, but a player on the Rams, one of the... He was in... It was near, they were near the end zone. A fan was like, you know, talking shit to him. And then so the Rams player goes up comes up to him this guy i think he's from like compton or crenshaw i think california comes up to him like what you got something to say now and like confronted him didn't like touch him he's like you got something to say you want to say it to my face mind you this guy's probably you know like i think it was robert woods i think so it yeah it was robert woods yeah he but and then that fan he was real quiet yeah he was real quiet so that's the thing it's like you can't treat these players are players they're human beings you can't just push them and not expect anything bad to happen to you and i think these courtside fans are taking advantage because they know the players aren't going to retaliate. Oh, that's 100% why yeah. he did that. Yeah. I mean, if you saw if you saw Kyle Lowry come at you in the street and he accidentally like bumped into you, would you push him back? No. Right. Kyle Lowry seems like one of the nicest dudes too in the NBA. True, like, but I don't I don't get why someone would oh, want to yeah. push him. So, it was just it was all bad. Warriors, hats off to you for handling how you guys did. But on the other side of the court, there was some crazy news with Beyonce and the Warriors' wife. Are we getting? The Warriors' owner's wife. I'm sorry. Is this E! News? I'm just kidding. I know, right? TMZ (laughs) over here. No, so it was pretty crazy. Uh, Ramona Shelburne tweeted out this story about Nicole Curran, the wife of Warriors' owner Joe Lacob, 
has been under major scrutiny for being in Beyonce's quote unquote airspace. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, so let me just explain this for you and for all everybody else in the be- in the Bayhive. Hi, I'm a part of you too. Oh my god. So, what basically happened was this lady was just all like Beyonce was Jay Z, Beyonce's in the middle, and then Steve Kerr's wife was trying to. I think she was trying to talk to Jay Z or like they were trying. She was just trying to talk to them, whatever. Don't know if they have a past relationship, if they know each other, if they're friends, whatever. So she, you could tell, like, she's just, like, all in her business. Like, she's just reaching over Beyonce, like, getting too close to Beyonce. And you could tell Beyonce's face that she's just, like, uh, like, why are you so close to me? Basically, that's what it read. That's what you could totally read from her face. She was not smiling. So that's how all. I could tell you you're a part of the Beehive because the story that happened was they showed, obviously, Beyonce and Jay-Z. They were waving across the court. And then Curran said that she came out and said that she offered the two drinks like being a good hostess like obviously you're the wife's the yeah the wife of the owner mm-hmm. so you're trying to be a good hostess so literally she asked beyonce what do you want to drink she said water she asked jay-z what do you want he said vodka soda and then she said do you want lime with it but obviously you can't hear it because oracle is so loud so she leaned over a bit and said do you want lime and then he said yeah and that's when Beyonce's whole face like became super like straight and then that's when it all blew up on twitter yeah. to a point then this is what is mind-boggling to me to a point where like she's been receiving debt threats on her social media to a point where she had to deactivate her instagram account because she couldn't handle it anymore this is what's crazy so i what i told you is what exactly what you could see from the screen like it just looked like she was all in her space i mean i'm i'm not a fan of people being in my personal space so even if like somebody i just know they're trying to get across like i would just be like uh like beyonce probably just felt a little awkward because she was might have been just too close to her and nobody's ever that close to beyonce unless you're jay-z or or blue ivy but or the twins but um i think it's wrong i think it's insane because all these babe come on beehive i doubt there's any i doubt there's like maybe one or two people out of our listeners who actually listen to beyonce who understand journalism and sports who actually go in depth with the story if a major celebrity like Beyonce, some she looks mad or irritated. Oh, they're gonna snap back and defend her no matter what. Yeah, but to a point where she receives death Ex- threats. Exactly. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying this is what these people do, not knowing anything. They probably didn't even know where she was at. They probably didn't even know what game she was at. They're probably thinking it was a baseball football. Who cares? I have to go protect Beyonce. So it's crazy. It's crazy. I am not at that level. I just want everyone to know. I'm just left her music. But it's it's insane, and it's I I feel bad for her. That's honestly that's that just goes to show the power of social media. Also, another reason why you just shouldn't be nice to people. If she wouldn't have offered them a drink. None of this would have happened to her. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, but I mean, like you're in Oracle. That's technically kind of her house, because right, yeah. So it's like, if but she these wants people to be don't good. know that they they're just like, oh, this randomly. But that's what all I'm saying. Like, like people, people on the internet take stuff way out of context, and that's that's kind of the thing that kind of irks me. It's like yeah. you don't know the whole story, so why are you to a point to like tell someone that they're receiving death threats it's and that crazy. they have to. In, or they have to deactivate their yeah. social media. Like, I mean, I haven't read any statements from Beyonce. I don't know if Beyonce or Jay-Z has come out and said anything about this, but they, especially Beyonce should come out and say, like, hey, like, this is what happened. Like, don't come after her. Yeah, I think, I think at the very least they should do that. Yeah. Although Beyonce is not one to, like, meddle in with, like, the media that much as of lately. So I don't know if she will. I don't. But I hope she does. Maybe, I really hopefully. do. 
because that sucks. That's terrible. Like nobody, like to receive death threats for no right, reason for being a nice person. That would be the right people. Those are not the people who should be receiving death threats. Right. And I just want to know why everybody's mad at poor Steve Kerr's wife, and nobody's mad at Drake for being so annoying. Can we talk about this for a second? Not too much though, because I don't want to give him too much time. Drake, I love him as an artist, but he's the most annoying fan I've ever seen. So irritating. I tweeted this out like uh, last week or something, or the other day, I should say, that I want Golden State to lose, but I want Drake to shut up even more. So that's also why I want Golden State to kind of win and just shove it in Drake's face. Because he's, why? Why is he being so irritating? Did you see that video? There's a video of him and Clay Thompson, at the game, I think after game two, when Clay Thompson got hurt. Where oh, in they, the tunnel? Yeah, in the tunnel when they yeah. were they were in the back and then Drake said something to Clay. Clay's like, What? Like what are you trying to say? Like something like that. And then Drake was like, Oh, I don't know, you know, being a little girl, because now he's got big old basketball players coming after him because they're mad and annoyed. And then Clay Thompson said, You're lucky I didn't play tonight. Like you're so lucky. So Honestly, anything that anyone does to piss off the Warriors, I'm all for it. So go Drake. Uh, I but it's you. not annoying to you. It to a point, yeah, it is. But it's like, dude, you're a super fan. If you like, if you know you can get away with that shit, like, dude, it's not like he's bothering anyone or he's like he's bothering me and he's right, bothering he's not, bothering everyone on the Warriors. But he's not. He's not disrupting the game at all. In no, a sense, it's just so annoying. I get it. that's that's what a super fan is, though. Uh, I'm sorry, Mike Trout is a super fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. You didn't see him do any of that. Right, because he's also a professional athlete and has to hold himself accountable. Drake can Drake can That's has true. the leeway. These rappers do can do whatever they want. It's like look at Spike Lee. Spike Lee for the New York Knicks. Like back in the day, he would get in the face of Scottie Pippen and would just like I, they would go back and forth. So it's like it's part of the game. <sighs> See, to a point where like massaging Nick Nurse, the coach, when he was massaging his shoulders because like it was a, <laughs> it came down to the wire. I guess the Bucks game, like. Okay, I think now you're starting to disrupt the game when you start touching players and or coaches and athletes and stuff like that. But other than that, do you, man? Keep pissing off all those people on social media, all the doubters. God. I'm so I'm for it. I better see him on the freaking parade oh, after he, the Warriors or Raptors win. Sorry, you know he's going to have his own. He's going to know he's going to have his own float. With the OVO logo? Yeah. <laughs> it's free press. Dude, it's crazy. Like, think about it. The Raptors have jerseys, literally OVO jerseys. Yeah. So they're like OVO Bay themed jerseys. So that's kind of the influence that Drake has on the Raptors and Toronto and Canada in general. Look, I'm not saying Drake is a bad person. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be allowed to cheer for his favorite team. I just think he needs to tone it down like 10 notches. You do you, Drake. Jersey. I guess. And then to round off the NBA, we have Adrian Wojnarowski Bomb, also known as Wodge Bomb. There were Brooklyn Nets traded Allen Crabb, the 17th pick, and a 2020 lottery-protected first-round pick for Torian Pence and a 2021 second-round pick. So when when reading off the stats of or the, the details of the draft, it may not seem as much. But if you look in-depth, Allen Crabb was set to make, I think, 18 mil next year. And by releasing him or by letting him go and getting, you know, Torian Prince, who has, who's on a much lower contract, it created a lot more cap space. And for the Brooklyn Nets, they have a lot of links with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is going to be on the Nets. And then also with uh, D'Angelo Russell, he's going to be a free agent this year, too. So with that trade, they actually cleared up space to sign two max free agents this is best case scenario for the brooklyn nets because now i mean i think originally they were planning on 
trying to get um, Lowry and then getting rid of D'Angelo Russell. So now they get to keep now they get to have both of them, which is obviously the game plan here. Well, I think the this is a huge smack in the face to the Celtics because obviously the Brooklyn Nets were deemed as one of the worst franchises in sports history. Yeah. After the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade, when they traded away like four first round picks and they screwed them over. And now think about this, that if they end up taking away the Celtics superstar from their team and coming over to the Brooklyn Nets. And then also with the Knicks, they're all like, oh, we're going to get KD. We're going to be the new like Kings of the East. We're finally going to be relevant, relevant again. And the Brooklyn's just like, nah, nah, fam, that's going to be us. Once again, poor Knicks. So... With this now, actually, this this free agency is going to be insane because obviously you have Kawhi Leonard, you have Kevin Durant, you have Clay Thompson, you got Kemba Walker, you got uh, Demarcus Cousins. So you have like a bunch of big name athletes, Chris Middleton, all of them that are going to be signing somewhere. And with that being said, the Knicks have two max uh, contract spots. The Nets now have two max contract spots. The Clippers have the ability to make uh, two max contract spots, and the Lakers have a max contract spot plus the number four pick. So there's going to be a huge shakeup in the NBA this offseason, and I am excited for it. Yeah. I Also, Kawhi Leonard, everybody thought he was going to go to the Clippers. You thought he was going to go to the Clippers. It's still a chance. Yeah. Well, he just bought, he just bought property, property in Toronto. But before he got into the Raptors, he also had bought property in San Diego. Yeah. So he, maybe he's just really, he's just into real estate. He's, maybe did he's you, a fl- house flipper. Did you see that video before Game 3 when Normal Powell tried to give him a little fist bump? And then Kawhi oh, yeah. literally is just straight face. He's like, no, we got to go through the tunnel. Oh, yeah. And Norman Powell's like, no, it's a fist bump. This is what you're supposed to do. Like, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Kawhi Leonard is a robot after that video. Oh, he's a machine. Yeah. It's like I no emotion. I'm just like, what? Uh, that's like, like one of no those... social cues, no nothing. I mean, it doesn't happen to me a lot, but when it does happen and people do, you go in for like a fist bump or like a high five and you just don't get it. It's embarrassing. Right. It was just, and the thing is, is in the video, you can see Kawhi look at his fist like three different times. And he's, he's like, like, no. no. <laughs> I think the cat, I think the caption for that was, I think um, Kawhi Leonard and definitely not going back to the Raptors. Yeah. Cl- like, there's a bunch of like Clipper uh, Twitter accounts just like giving smirks and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And know. then we are going to post all the memes that we talk about or all the ones that are relevant to our episodes on our Instagram. So make sure you follow us. But yeah, and uh, so we'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Passenger Side. I'm back for a new season with more music, more topics, and a whole lot of complaining. Tune into my show Thursdays at 8 p.m., only on Titan Radio. All right, so now next thing on the docket, we're going to talk about some baseball. First thing, big news, Craig Kimbrell signs with the Cubs a three-year, $43 million contract. Yeah, much, much, much needed closer for the Cubs. Oh, definitely. The He's Cub- one of the best closers I'm, I'm going to say he's one of the best closers in the league. I think after Kelly ja- uh, Kenley Jansen, he is. Yeah. And I think the Cubs really needed one because they've blown 12 saves this year, which is tied for 27th worst in the league. Yeah. So, I mean, they already have the offensive firepower. Now they just need the pitching to get together. And I think signing a guy like Craig Kimball is a really, really good move. And honestly, not that expensive either. 
Yeah, not really. I mean, it, it is only three years, so. I think he was asking for the Red Sox like a six-year, $100 million deal or something like that. So the fact that they got him three years, $43 million, it's a little less. I mean, probably because the Red Sox are probably not going to give him that money. And probably no, this is probably the best case scenario for him because he knows she can shine on the Cubs. And this is like, I mean, the Cubs needed that. So I think it's a very mutual thing. Right. Yeah. But yeah, he's also, the, he's also, fun fact, one of the youngest players to get 300 saves. So I think that the Cubs, Cubs fans, they're all very happy. This is going to be, hopefully, this might like be just like the turning point kind of bumping back up Gets again. Him over the hump. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we'll see. We'll see what the Cubbies do. He won't be ready until June 20th is what I've uh, seen. So, I mean, it's not too far out, but I think just getting him back into shape and getting him into the swing of things with the Cubs, he'll be ready by June 20th. Oh, definitely. And so, and then we're also going to talk about, before we talk about the stacked rookie class, we're going to talk about um, Austin Riley, who's had a crazy start this season. Nine home runs. Historic start. Nine home runs in 18 games. That's one every two games. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. And that's actually, he reached eight home runs in fewer games than any other player in Braves franchise history. So right now his stats are, he's hitting 320 which is amazing for a rookie. And then he has nine home runs, 26 RBIs, and 15 runs over a 19-game span. <laughs> like, if those numbers don't jump out at you, I don't know what will. No, yeah, he's doing really he's doing really good. And honestly, it's also kind of what the Braves need as well. So mm-hmm. I think having that, like, firepower in your offense is amazing. They needed, all- they needed that power from the bats for sure. Because, I mean, they have the defense, obviously, uh, and then they have Freddie Freeman, all that stuff. But I think... Now having a young twenty-two-year-old Austin Riley is really going to help him. Yeah, Um, and I think honestly, like throughout the MLB, it's like home run derbies. Like this year is like the home run derby year, and I love it. Who doesn't love a home run? I think that what was it the other night? Like maybe two nights ago, I read on Twitter that there was like fifty-two home runs hit tonight, and I'm like, what? Literally. 52 home runs, like, within a day throughout the MLB. Like, that is insane. Teams, teams will hit home runs and still lose games. I feel like five. I feel like back in the day or, like, I mean, growing up watching baseball, like, if a, if your team hit a home run, you were going to win the game. Right. Like, or most likely you were going to win the game. But now it's like you, like you can hit home runs, two home runs, and still lose. Right. It's – I love it. It's As a baseball fan, it's so fun to watch because now it's like anything could happen. And, and, it's, and it makes it a lot more fun to go to games now, too, and watch, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. If you're a tried-and-true baseball fan, you'll love the game no matter what. But a lot of, like, other people who I notice who aren't into baseball as much, a.k.a. <coughs> Kush, is becoming a lot more interested because it's fun to watch. Just give me a beer and I'll be good. Or a michelada <laughs> and I'll be good at a game. But would you ever, like, on your own time watch baseball, like, at your home, like, if you're not doing anything? Straight up. Like, if I'm not doing jack shit, I'll have it playing around in the background while I'm working or something like that. Right. But, like... You wouldn't, like, choose, I like... I wouldn't... That wouldn't be my go-to to watch. Wow. You know, my family just got Spectrum, so... <laughs> <laughs> now I get to watch Joshua games. Um, but... Yeah, let's let's go over the rookie class. All right. So... I think it's one of the most stacked in recent history, just giving these couple names... And they're, all, and the they're all young. Like, so like, young, yeah. Like, at 24 Like, our younger, age... Like our age, doing better with their lives. So obviously, we just talked about Austin Riley, and then next on my list, I have Pete Alonso, who has been raking 
for the New York Mets. He uh, He's hitting 265, 20 home runs at this point of the season, 20 home runs and 45 RBIs. Uh, as a youngster, just pure power. And, like, his home runs are, like, 440, 450, like, feet home runs. So it's, like, raw power. Yeah, and then, of course, we have we have actually a few Angels players on our list. We do, so, finally. <laughs> so first, um, we'll talk about um, Ty Butcher, you pitcher for the Angels. I mean, last night's performance, he didn't do too well against the against Athletics, Oakland. Yeah. yeah, didn't do too well. But, I mean, besides that. He still has a sub-2 ERA in 31 innings pitched as yeah. a reliever. That's, He's still doing extremely well. As a rookie reliever, that is amazing. I mean, it's I mean, it's crazy that the Angels still are kind of struggling because they have him and then not on also with Ty Butchery pitcher Griffith Canning. Mm-hmm. He is doing insane. Also, he went to UCLA. He was, I think he grew up in Anaheim or he grew up in somewhere in the Orange or he went, where did he go? He went to Santa Margarita High School, I believe. Mm-hmm. Growing up an Angels player, getting drafted by the Angels, he's definitely taking advantage of his opportunity. He is the young pitching talent that the Angels desperately need. Yeah. 42 strikeouts in 38 innings pitched. That's over a strikeout an inning, yeah. which is great. And he's, and he, the thing is, is he gets a lot of swing and misses. Mm-hmm. That's the great part about him. From a young pitcher, that's what you want to see. Oh, definitely. And I think that um, has also his poise. He's very mature on mm-hmm. the mound. Like mm-hmm. he's not, like you could tell, like he doesn't get as flustered, you know, as like maybe someone with less experience, but he keeps himself very poised. Okay. So now moving on to the other LA team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Alex Verdugo the kid so last year i remember i was he's doing extremely well very very well i remember last year when they uh last season when they brought him up for spring training i was hoping he would do well he seemed like he had some promise but he definitely wasn't ready yet this year is his time and with how deep that outfield is with you know alex verdugo cody bellinger jock peterson i mean we know the dodgers are stacked right so that outfield and then the amount of injuries that has been happening to their outfield and he's still been like one of their most consistent players on that team hitting Mm -hmm. over 300 for a rookie that's really mature and very poised of him oh definitely i think that i think he said in an interview that he was really disappointed when he he didn't perform as well last last season during spring training so this year he wanted to come out and show out and that's what they did and the dodgers kept him and i think it was a great choice and he's doing very very well we're all proud of you so and then i want to talk about my favorite rookie he may not be the best rookie statistically wise but my favorite rookie vladimir guerrero jr Vladdy I know Jr. you were gonna say that. Yeah, dude, freaking. Well, I like Vladdy Jr. too. Who his, his dad is one of my favorite players of all time. So mm. obviously, I wish Vladdy Jr. was in an Angels jersey. But this oh, I think he, I think he will eventually. The I'm, Angels. I'm honestly the, really freaking hoping so. I think the Angels organization, they're they're. I think they're one of the like the nicest organizations. Like they're just all nice people. Yeah, but Vladdy Jr. He's hitting 256 right now, seven home runs, 16 RBIs, and this dude just has some massive, massive power to swing. And he he swings just like his dad too. Like every like identical swings, but not only that, like the pitches he chases, like down in the zone, like way down in the zone, about to hit the dirt, and he'll smack him for a home run to dead center field. I forget which game it was, or if they did it in one of the pregame shows that they compared Vladdy Jr. and Vladdy and his dad. Mm-hmm. And they compared their swings as if like they were both they were both swinging for a pitch, and it was like almost identical. Like exactly identical, and but the, he does need to. I think he needs. To, I mean, he needs to get more consistent. He's playing like a rookie but he has crazy talent and he's extremely athletic so i think i think he's it's only going to be up from here for him but he does need to get more consistent for sure his numbers are not shining and then two more guys that i have on my list is brandon lowe from the tampa bay rays who honestly i think might get an all-star nod 
this season. That's how good of a season he's having. He's hitting 272, 11 home runs, and 36 RBIs. So I think he's been really crucial to that Tampa Bay Rays run that they had at the beginning of the season and even now. And then last but not least, I have Fernando Tatis Jr., the Padres infielder, hitting 300, 6 home runs, and 13 RBIs. So I think with Manny Machado there, the, the Padres are stirring something up. They are. I think. I think you said it in one of the one of our earlier episodes that like don't discount the Padres out, and I'm like nah. But I mean, this Tatis Jr. is pretty good. He's pretty damn good. Yeah. So that's I, pretty much. They've got a long way to go, though. They so do for sure. Let's not. And also with the Rockies and Dodgers in their division, it's going to be kind of tough. Oh, they're not. I mean, <laughs> until yeah. the Dodgers decide. <laughs> okay, let's just not even go there because it's <laughs> laughable. What you? <laughs> just kidding. So but, that I think that's just a little list of our rookie sensations so far this season. It's not even halfway, so it's like yeah. we don't know either they can dip down, someone can come out of nowhere, or they just continue this hot streak. So we'll we'll see. And speaking of coming out of nowhere, last night uh the Angels played Oakland Athletics. They came back from a seven and one they were losing seven to one. And they came back and won in the ninth inning walk off style. Against the Oakland Athletics, too, one of the hottest teams in the league right now. I was thoroughly impressed. Well, first, well, right off the bat, Tommy Listella. He's, mm-hmm. by the way, he's kicking ass. He, right be- now. he better make the All Star game. Oh, as I a think he baseman. will. He would get just, if he didn't. He'd, if if he did it, that he, he'd get robbed for sure. I, I he's think performed so. way too well, and it kind of sucks. If Andrelton Simmons wasn't hurt, he would have been All Star too for the Angels and Mike Trout. I think them three. Well, yeah. And, and probably, anyways, but um, Oakland is not a team you can just knock off and like, oh, there's just an easy one for the Angels. No, they're a good, they're a good clubhouse. So I think, and I think, and this was just a fun game to watch. And it's good to see the Angels kind of rally back. The Angels have always been kind of good at rallying back, but it always just has been never enough. So I think it's good for the fans and good for the organization in general to see them play like this with, you know, Alderson Simmons out and then um, Jason Upton still. Not there. Still, still not, not there. there. He has been doing taking more BP and everything like that, but he's still not there, and they they need him. And actually, fun fact, that was the longest game held at Angel Stadium in their history. The game was four hours and 13 minutes long. Longest in their history? Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised by that set, too. I felt like the Angels had maybe felt like they had longer games, but yeah, no. Last night was the longest game and one of their greatest comebacks, so... There you go. Probably would have been nicer for probably the crew working it if it was a little shorter. But it was no, nonetheless a very good game to watch. So hats off. Now moving on, now kind of going back to the other team in L.A., the Doyers. Cody Bellinger, I mean, we've talked about him and Christian Yelich, how they're kind of neck and neck right now. But Cody Bellinger, came. I just saw this ridiculous stat yesterday. He's been on base 57 out of 58 times. That's insane insane that's not just hitting not hitting home runs or whatever it's getting on base to put your team in he's the position sh- he's to showing, succeed. he's showing great plate discipline at the same time too because mm-hmm. like obviously he knows he has a power so he could swing at everything but he's showing great plate discipline to get on base and that's what separates the great hitters from just power hitters is discipline because i mean if you could, ju- if you just swing for the fences all the time, that like, yeah, that makes you a great power hitter, but you're not a great hitter. And he's definitely shown that. And I mean, there's no reason why the I mean, the Dodgers' um, seven game winning streak was snapped yesterday by none other than the Arizona Diamondbacks? Question marks above my head. But you know, there's 163 games in baseball, so I think one or two 
losses is okay, but just not toward near the playoffs. I still, I still got Christian Yelich winning the MVP though. No way. Cody Bellinger's gonna win. It's it's such I think a, it's such a toss up between them two because they're both yeah, having go amazing down. seasons. It's gonna go down to like who has the better numbers, but and I think it's gonna go down to like which team has a better record as well too. I True. think that's gonna be a big factor, even though it is like a team sport and there's two sides of the ball. Honestly, but it's like whichever team makes it to the World Series. Also, does MVP come out before? The World mm, the, the playoffs? Does. Yeah, so I don't think they're going to well, take that. Well, does it come out? I thought it comes out. It might be a regular season award. That's why I, I don't think it's going to take into consideration who makes a World Series. Does it come out during playoffs? Even if it does, it's not going to take into account true. who gets the World Series. But, yeah, it, it I think it's going to come down to which team had better success. Because they're both amazing teams, don't get me wrong. But, but the Dodgers are stacked. Yeah, they have the best they're, record in the league more, right now. Yeah, they are more stacked than the Rockies right now. Brewers. Brewers. <laughs> All right, so moving on to our new subject, which is the WCW's championship game. Do you guys know what that is? Probably not. It's the Women's College World Series, or as I like to say, the Woman Crush Wednesdays. So if you guys don't know, last week UCLA beat Oklahoma in walk-off fashion. Now for those of you who don't know, the College World Series it is the best out of t- um Two, the best out of three games for the women's. The first game, UCLA took from Oklahoma 16-3. Ouch. Everybody kind of thought that UCLA kind of had it in the bag, which in a sense they did. But the second game, UCLA beat Oklahoma 5-4 to four in walk-off fashion. So this came all the way down to the ninth inning. And it was insane. I think Oklahoma... After watching that first game, Oklahoma has been a strong program this year. Everybody, I mean, I was rooting for them. Everybody thought that they were they could have beat UCLA. UCLA hasn't even hasn't won the College World Series since 2010. So they're also doing they're also always been a strong program. But Oklahoma had this heart to their team that they should they should have won. After the first game, it was just like like what happened. So, but they did show up in the last game, but or the second game, but it just wasn't enough and UCLA won five to four i think it's good that their softball program won because you said what last time was 2010 that they won yeah so i think obviously ucla is known for their basketball their football programs all that stuff so seeing like i mean their baseball team had an amazing season this year too but to see their softball team you know on the national level show that how consistent they've been these all throughout all these years and finish out on top it's great for them Oh, definitely. I think, I mean, growing up when I was younger, I played softball. UCLA was, like, one of the top teams. And now, and then kind of, like, towards the last five, six years, they kind of dipped down a little bit, but now they're coming back up. Yeah, and that walk-off, sure. that walk-off that UCLA had, the the athlete who who slid home and avoided the tag, that was insane. Clutch. Yeah. See, I mean, uh, I think, in my opinion, if you don't like baseball because you think it's boring, watch college softball. That's nuts, and it's faster. And college softball is, like, crazy, too, because you'll have these athletes pitching 108, 180 pitches in a game and pitching for, like, 10 innings, or, like, yeah, 10 innings, and it's one girl, and she'll strike out, like, 16 players. So it's actually really crazy the way how different baseball and softball is, but also, in the same time, how similar they are. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's pr- essentially the same game, but softball, the bases are closer, the mound is closer, so everything's extremely quick. That's why I didn't play college because I'm not that quick. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's a fun game to watch and I highly recommend it. And also, this is I might be biased, but this is an actual stat and there's a documentary on this. You can look it up. 
a, hitting a softball is much harder than hitting a baseball, even if thrown at the professional level. So, is that in consideration of the, way, of the bats too? Yes, it's well. I mean, if they both use the same bats, like, but I'm not saying like whichever ball goes farther. I'm saying making contact and actually hitting the ball. Like it's easier with it's easier for baseball because of the way they the releases. With baseball, you can see the release above the head. So if you're a good hitter, you can see you can see how the pitcher's throwing the ball. So you can kind of try to guess like where the ball's going based on like how their arm is positioned and how it releases um, and how they're holding the ball. Softball, it's all underneath. And you can't see what type of throw they're pitching. You can't see how their hands are set up until it's like already out, and it's sixty feet. And That's these, interesting, though. Yeah, because I, I I wouldn't think that because you know the yeah the everybody mound, yeah the mound is closer, but it's like everybody they throw underhand. It's slower. It's like a bigger ball, but it's closer, sixty feet, and they're pitching like gas seventies. For I mean, it doesn't seem gas, you know, major league standards, but like. That's, that's it's main, it's mainly it's not necessarily the speed it's the type of pitches and like the how the pitch is released because mm-hmm. you're it's no, harder yeah, to yeah, yeah, can, it's harder to see yeah boom look at me two facts in one episode you guys are so lucky and you're so educated now you're welcome but last very very last thing i want to mention this is huge uh for those of you who don't know um i am mexican but so this was really huge for me and for everyone in my culture and every Mexican-American probably, but Andy Ruiz was the first Mexican-American heavyweight champion for boxing ever. He's the first one. Now you think, oh, well, Oscar De La Hoya and like all these other guys. Well, not they're, they're not heavyweights. They're little guys. Mexicans yeah. are little guys. <laughs> and so now you see, this is um, this is honestly great. From It's great for the Mexican people. And also it's just a great story by Andy Ruiz because he said that growing up he struggled with his weight and that I mean he he was he was a little chubby not gonna lie he not little he he's a big dude <laughs> don't get me wrong and that I think that's why it was such a storyline because nobody expected him to nobody win. expected him to win because first of all his name wasn't even well known exactly and then second of all like he did not look like he was in shape especially against his opponent who was like in tip top shape mm-hmm. and doing what he did and coming s- out and knocking him out was a crazy crazy story yeah it was awesome and his parents it just proves that you don't even you don't always have to be in the gym. <laughs> you could still be successful. <laughs> yeah, sure. But I mean going back to like his personal background, his parents were Mexican Mexican immigrants, came to this country for a better life and now his son breaking this record is awesome. Like I'm getting chills. This is so great for any minority, I think, to just have to have that, especially for the Mexican people because we are so proud damn proud one thing that Conor and he was getting a lot of praise on social media from all a bunch of other boxers um Conor McGregor he actually came out and he said like release this whole message which is I think really nice and he's one of the quote that he said that I want to say is that it's not over with the Mexicans until it's over like they'll be bleeding and like on the floor but like they're all fighters so that's why they shouldn't have taken Andrew Ruiz like for granted or like mm-hmm. not expecting much of him underestimated because him. he won yes that's the word I was looking for but yeah, so shout outs, shout outs, shout outs. We're proud. Or I'm proud. Viva la Mexico. Viva Mexico. Exactly. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Nosebleeds. Good to have you back, Brandy. Great to be back. I honestly missed it. Like I, once I, when I was on vacation, like by the third day and I realized I was already missing the finals and then I was missing the College World Series and I was missing all this stuff and I was like, oh my God, Andrew Reese beat, beat a freaking record. I was like, I need to go home. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I did enjoy my vacation, but I was like, I'm missing so much. But, yeah, no, it's great to be back. We've got a lot more fresh content for you guys coming this summer. So stay tuned. Share us. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, 
all that because we're going to be interacting more with you guys. And yeah, let us know if you want to hear. Uh, rate us on iTunes. Only five stars, though. Please, thanks. Oh, my. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but seriously, like, rate, share it. All you guys can do would be much appreciated. And also, this is some little Neoma ad is. If you want to be on our show, hit us up. Let us know. Serious inquiries only. And you have to know what you're talking about. Of course. You don't have to be broke, though. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to like the nosebleeds. Are we talking about the podcast? Duh. How do you spell it again, Brandy? K-N-O-W-S bleeds. Are we out? Deuces. Bye.